thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. It's such an honor, and our, our desire is, first of all, if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, that this will be the day that you make Jesus the Lord of your life, and also that you will make Downey First Christian Church your church home. So as I was saying, we're Church of Wide Open Doors, and we are so glad that you're here today. In fact, when I'm done preaching, I'm going to walk out that door, and we have a guest lounge that's right on the other side of this wall. The guest lounge is a little living room area, and so I would like to meet you personally. So if this church is new to you, I want to ask that as service ends, you just make your way out to the guest lounge, and um, I'm going to only take about 30 seconds to one minute, so I'm not going to try to sell you a timeshare or anything like that, I promise you. Um, all I'm going to do is I just want to introduce myself and be able to meet you personally and see if there's anything that we can do as a church to serve you. Also, if you brought a person with you, just go ahead and walk with them over to the guest lounge, and I would love, love to meet you, okay? Speaking of meeting someone, I want to ask Noah to come here on stage. Some of you guys, <laughs> some of you guys know exactly who Noah is, and others are thinking, I think I've seen this guy for about a month coming to our church. He kind of stands out a little bit, but I wonder who he is, okay? So this is Noah, and as you guys know, we have been praying and searching for a youth ministry director for a long time. It's been about a year, maybe a little bit over a year, actually. And so Noah is the person that we're recommending. Uh, I want you guys, so we're not going to do a Q&A right now. I just want you guys to get a visual for the person that, we've, <laughs> that we're recommending uh, to take this uh, position. So this Wednesday, if you want to meet him personally, you want to ask him questions, this Wednesday at from 6 to 7 in the guest lounge, Noah's going to be there, and he's going to um, answer any questions that you have, and uh, you guys will be able to have sort of a meet and greet there uh, that day. Sound good? Yeah. All right, great. All right, man. Thank you. All right, so if you have your Bibles, please go to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we have the verse uh, up on the screen, and it says this. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the, dev the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not a human battle, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace." And so we've been on a series called Spiritual Warfare, and we're talking about this whole idea of the battle that we're in. Like, we're all in a battle. Like, we're in a battle. Like, sometimes in life, you wake up in the morning, and you're like, man, I got to face this day. But sometimes we think that the battle is human. Like, it's against your cousin, or it's against your brother, or it's against your dad, your boss, your coworker. And so our assumption is the same assumption that the Apostle Paul had, is that we're going to think that the battles that we face um, are actually people. That's why he says flesh and blood. It's people, but the reality of this, and we've been talking about this for the past few weeks, is that the, the true nature of the battle is actually spiritual. It's spiritual. We feel like it's human, but it's actually spiritual. And the reason why we have to understand that this battle is spiritual is that if we don't understand that it's spiritual and we think that it's flesh and blood, we're going to pick up the wrong weapons. We're going to pick up 
uh, human weapons. We're going to pick up the weapons of argument, of one up the other person, of trying to, you know, uh, 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 evil for evil, right? That's the kind of human weapons that we're going to tend to pick up. But we don't need to do that. I want to I reemphasize this. Have you ever tried to do, like, try to um, use a tool that's the wrong tool for something? Like, you're trying to screw a screw with a knife, right? What happens? Like, you do a terrible job, and you miss... What that, what's that? It works. It's, it works. I mean, well, at least not for me, okay? Like, the tip is going to, you know, mess up. The screw is not going to, you know, uh, screw properly. And the reason for that is because why? Because a knife is not meant to screw screws. A screwdriver is meant to screw screws. So the same thing is true spiritually. Like, in life, sometimes we'll pick up the wrong weapons in this case, and we'll wonder why we don't feel any better, and the reason for that is because we haven't been using the proper weapons. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 uh, through 5, the Apostle Paul talks about this whole principle that we've been mentioning. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. In other words, they're not revenge, they're not human arguments, they're not evil for evil. On the contrary, they have what? Divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, so far, what we've talked about is that the battle is not human, but it's spiritual. Number two, we have spiritual weapons that are available to us, and number three, we need to take up these spiritual weapons that are available. And so throughout this whole series, we've been talking about what are these weapons? And we've been talking about the armor of God. And we started off talking about the belt of truth, which is Jesus himself. He is the truth. The breastplate of righteousness, which is what? Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ, right? Jesus became sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's not us putting our own righteousness forward to be able to face this world, but we're taking on the righteousness of Christ that allows for us to be able to, to face this spiritual battle. And so today we're going to talk about the gospel of peace. We're going to talk about the gospel of peace. All right? You guys with me? Yes, the gospel of peace. We're going to talk about that today. Okay? So have you ever stubbed your toe? Yes, no? That is so, so painful. Like in the middle of the night, feet are a little bit cold on the edge of the bed. Man, if you stub your toe, like if you're a Christian here and you're one of those Christians that say, I've never cursed in my life, man, that's probably because you have never stubbed your toe in the middle of the night. I'm telling you, you'll become Pentecostal. You'll start a revival in your room. It hurts. <laughs> and so... So, yeah, I mean, and I, I have a problem with my feet. I have my, my right foot. I have a problem in my, in my, specifically my right toe. It's called hallux rigidus, which is just a fancy name uh, for a stiff toe. It's arthritis in my toe, and so I have to wear special inserts, and now I have to buy special shoes, and eventually I'm going to have to have surgery on that, on that foot. Um, but, but footwear, like, is so important. And so the, the Apostle Paul is talking about the gospel of peace, and he's making a parallel between the gospel of peace and the footwear that a soldier has to wear in battle. And so if it hurts stubbing your toe when, you're, when you have bare feet, how much more is it going to hurt if you're going to go into battle barefoot, 
right? So the Apostle Paul is talking about this, this whole idea. He says, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes through the gospel of peace. So again, this is war language, right? And so he's talking about the importance of, of a soldier that needs to have his feet fitted. And so we have a, an image here of what one of those, one of those um, sort of sandal slash boot war, you know, uh, footwear was, um, was there. You can see in the back, it's got like little, little stubs, right? Like sort of like cleats or nails. Um, and this was meant so they could stand their ground as they were as they were fighting, you didn't want to fall. Like if you fell with all that armor on, it was going to become very difficult to be able to stand up again. So it's meant for you to be able to, to stand your ground. And one of the things that's important, and this is the, the whole idea of having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes through the gospel of peace, is that you could have the whole armor on. You could have the helmet, you could have the sword, you could have the breastplate, like you could have the, the whole thing ready to go, but if your feet weren't properly fitted, none of that would matter. And so the same is true for us, spiritually. You know, we, we can have a bunch of stuff, we can feel like we're ready to go, but if we don't understand and we're not ready and we don't have the gospel of peace in us, we will not be able to stand our ground when the day of evil comes. And what does that mean exactly? Like, like, what does it mean for us as Christians to be ready, to have our feet fitted with that readiness that comes through the gospel of peace? What does that mean? Um, 1 Peter 3.15 gives us a, a glimpse of what it means, and here's, here's what it says. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Listen, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, kind of a side note, with gentleness and respect. So let me ask you a question. How many of you here have the hope of Jesus? Like you can say, I have the hope, like I have Christ and I have the hope of Jesus, right? Most of you. How many of you here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Let's just be honest with yourself. How many of you guys know or are prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that you have? And so, so I believe you. Like when you say, I got, I got the hope of Jesus, I, I, I 100%, I, I believe you, I have the hope too. But are we prepared to give an answer? Like why do you have this hope in your life? Are we prepared? This is very important because if you're not prepared, it means that you don't actually have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes through the gospel of peace. That's what it means to be, to be prepared. Last week, I met with a pastor. Uh, his name is Joe. He's the pastor at, at Knott Avenue. We had a coffee together. He took me to this coffee shop. Man, that coffee was so strong. It put hair on my chest. I mean, it was just like this really strong coffee. And he's kind of that type of person too. He's like a, a man's man, if you will. Not that I'm not, by the way. But, okay, you laughed a little too hard. Um, so he was, he was um, we were just talking, and he was talking about this whole process that they went through as a church. It took about three years to be able to find the right pastor. And he was saying that one of the things that they struggled with is that they would have pastors, this is crazy, they would have pastors that were qualified but unable to properly articulate the gospel, which was really interesting because that's almost like going to psychologists and saying, hey, what's psychology? And he's like, I don't know, next question, <laughs> right? It's like strange, but, but it's, it was very interesting for me to hear that because 
what is true for many of these pastors possibly is true for us as well. And I don't want you to think if, if there are pastors that can't articulate the gospel that that somehow gives you, gives you a pass. We should know. We should know, right? And so the question is, what is the gospel? Like, what's the reason for the hope that you have? What is it? You know? You can say it many different ways. You can say, you know, we are, I am a sinner, right? I am a hopeless sinner. And that sin separates me from God. And there's a chasm between me and God as a result of the sin that I have. And no matter how hard I try to be able to reach the righteousness required in order for me to have a proper relationship with God, there's no way for me to be able to achieve that. Enter Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He, he, he died on the cross and rose on the third day so that we can receive salvation through faith. And so you can say it like that. That's kind of a... Kind of a simple way of doing it, but I was talking to my mechanic the other day. I was, I was sharing the gospel with my mechanic, and I told him the difference between, between all other religions and Christianity. So all other religions are about do. You got to do all these things in order to be able to be in right standing with God. With Christianity, it's all about done. It's all been done for you, but all you have to do is believe that this salvation is available to you. We have an evangelism serve team in our church, and this is such a great thing. They started actually talking to people last two, two, uh, two Saturdays ago, and some of them would just go up to the line, the line of people for, sorry, we have a food help ministry at our church, if you don't know, food help, and we serve our community, we, we give them food. And so there's this line that forms every Saturday morning, and this serve team, uh, they go, I'm actually going next Saturday to participate in this. Some of them would just share their stories with these people. And last Sunday, we had a whole family show up to our Spanish service. Isn't that great? And so this is, this is um, it's such a beautiful thing, but we can all do this. We can all do this. We can do this every day. We can talk to your mechanic, talk to the person, and it's a lot easier than it seems. It's so much easier than it seems. And after you do it, you feel, you feel really good. So anyway, having, let's just kind of summarize what, we, what we've said so far. Having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace means knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and being ready or willing to share that with others. So readiness and being willing is actually two definitions of the same uh, Greek word that's translated into English as ready. So it's, it's ready, but it's also willing. So it's these two, these two things. And so my question to you this morning and my question to myself is are you ready? Are you ready to give a reason for the hope that you have? Are your feet fitted with the readiness that comes through the gospel of peace? It's a good question. Let's think about that. But another aspect that's very important that the Apostle Paul points out is if you notice, he doesn't just say be ready with the gospel. He says with the gospel of peace. So he adds the word peace to the gospel. Why does he add the word peace? He doesn't say the gospel, he says the gospel of, of peace. And it may seem like a contradiction to you because this is in the middle of all this war language. So it's the gospel, but it's the gospel of, of peace. So why, why this clarification? Why the gospel and also of peace? Why not just the gospel, right? Um, and to, to, mention, to, talk, to clarify that a little bit here is, have you ever talked to someone who is saying something, 
but they're contradicting it with their life? Like, like someone's giving you advice on nutrition while they're just eating a bag of chips, right? Or they're giving you financial advice while they're deep in debt, right? Or they're giving you life coaching advice when they're living in a van down by the river. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, good. Some of you guys got that. That was, that was a Gen X that was a Gen X joke, right? Chris Farley, we all, we all miss him. Sorry. But, but see, the, the point I'm trying to make here, the point I'm trying to make here is that, is that we can talk about the gospel all day long while contradicting it with our lives. So what does this mean? The gospel that we preach has to point to peace. It's peace. The ultimate goal of the gospel is, is peace. And what I mean by this is, is peace in the, in, the ter- in the sense of it bringing shalom into the world. What does shalom mean? It, means? it means balance. It means things being the way that they need to be. We go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. There was, there was shalom, right? This was the way God intended for things to be. Adam had, and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. They were, they were one with, with nature, uh, not too much work to be stressed out, not too little work to get bored. It was the way that God intended for humanity to be with God. And that lasts until chapter 3. Chapter 3, it's all broken, right? We get selfish and we want to do our own thing. And we're in this whole time period trying to get back to that original plan. And the gospel is this tool that we have to be able to bring that peace to become a reality. Jesus calls it the renewal of all, of all things. This is the process that we're in right now in Matthew chapter 19. So we're in this progression. And if you ever wonder what time period we're in right now, we're in the end times. That doesn't mean that the end times is going to be in a week. It's the time period between the resurrection of Jesus and when he returns. It's been about 2,000 years. So if anyone asks you, are we in the end times? Yes, because that's the literal time period that we're in. So... So the gospel brings peace. The gospel brings shalom. The gospel brings reconciliation. It brings balance. It brings love. It brings forgiveness. It brings restoration. This is the gospel of peace. But why does, why does Paul make this clarification? And this is, this is essential here because it's possible to articulate the gospel. Listen to this. It is possible to articulate the gospel while at the same time not creating shalom not creating peace. In fact, you can be the most brilliant theologian, but bring division instead of peace. It's the contradiction that I believe Paul was addressing. You see, this is one, these are one of the issues that, that the Ephesians were dealing with right now. There were the Gentile Christians, and then there were the Jewish Christians. The Gentile Christians were, were seen by the Jewish uh, believers as second class. So the Jewish Christians were looked down on the Gentile Christian. They had this whole idea in the church that there were, there were insiders and there were outsiders. Like those guys out there, yeah, okay, fine. They can come in, but just so you know, they're not part of the real deal. They just showed up. I wanted for everyone to understand that. And so in other words, it's possible that the content of the message that they were sharing was, was accurate, but at the same time, it wasn't bringing peace, but division. So the words were probably correct, but the attitude was contradicting the very message of the gospel. And this is not good. And we can fall into the same thing. 
as a church. You see, it, may, it saddens me to see some churches falling into this. I'm not saying we're, we're like, it's impossible for us to fall into this. We have to watch out for it. Some churches, you have to believe and act and dress a certain way and behave the way everyone else behaves before you even feel welcomed. That's why in this church, I, I love to say we're a church of wide open doors, and we're not just saying that. Like, it makes my day when someone walks in here who's far from God, and they feel welcomed into the space. See, that's what was happening in, in Ephesus. Um, there were classes of believers. There were some that were considered better Christians than others that weren't as good. There were the Jewish Christians and there were the Gentile Christians. And as I was saying earlier, that can happen anywhere. That could happen here too. I remember my first surf lesson that I took about two months ago. I knew nothing about surfing. Not that I'm an expert now. I'm still a beginner. But my first lesson, I felt completely out of place. It was actually a surf camp, and it was about 60 teenagers there. And I show up, and I'm like, dude, I feel so out of place. I literally wanted to go home. Like, I'm like, you know what? I'll just come back another day. But my surf instructor, he made me feel so welcome. He's like, dude, no worries. No worries. You're not, you're not. I was like, dude, I'm 47. Like, I shouldn't be here. He's like, no worries. No worries. And so he made me feel welcome, and he made me feel part, even though I was a complete outsider, you know? And so I love that. I love remembering that because, because the reason why we make a big deal about welcoming people into this church, into this space, is because, listen to this, Jesus never turned anyone away. People would turn Jesus away, but Jesus never turned anyone away. The table was always open. For men, for women, for children, for experts in the law, for slaves, for free, for Gentiles, Jewish people, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, drunks, the table was open. The table was open. And the problem that was happening in Ephesus can happen here too. I don't know if you've noticed, but, but the Lord is growing our church. He's allowing for, for people to walk in. There are people that are walking into this church that, that are, they're walking in, and they, they've never been here before, and, and they feel welcome into the space, and I love that. I love that so much. Um, but listen to this. How we react, how we treat them, how we receive them, how we embrace them, how we welcome them will determine whether the gospel we are preaching is actually the gospel of peace or it's mere rhetoric. And I understand that we may, take, we may take some heat for how we welcome people here, but I think it's worth it. I know Jesus did. Luke chapter 15, people would, Pharisees would criticize Jesus and they would say, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's many things that we could be known for as a church. The oldest church, possibly, a church who is fully bilingual, a church that is very generous, um, a church that feeds the hungry, and that's all great. But you know what I want us to be known for? That church, that church welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, here's the thing. I, I, 
It's not enough to just tolerate sinners. It's not enough to just say, fine, if they insist on coming in, fine, we'll make room for them. I want us to welcome them and eat with them because that's what Jesus did. If you are someone who thinks this way, he calls himself a Christian, and look at what he does. She calls herself a Christian, and look at what she does. Here's what you're doing. You are simply judging someone because they sin differently than you do. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Here's the thing. I, I used to think that when we're talking about the whole idea of welcoming sinners and eating with them, like Jesus would welcome sinners and he would eat with them, here's the visual that I had in my mind. I thought I was sitting with Jesus and he was pointing out, he says, I think that sinner, we should welcome him to our table. But you know what I realized? Is that I was that sinner. Jesus was over there. He's like, yeah, you're, you're welcome too. You can come in and join us as well. You see, we have to understand that we're all outsiders. And Jesus has welcomed us into his table. He welcomes us and he eats with us because of his own merit and not our own. He's a, he invites us to the table every single Sunday to sit with him and eat with him. And we're called to do the same. And so I want, to have a, I want to have a little moment here, and I want to ask if we can all just kind of close our eyes. And um, this is a moment between you and God. And I'm going to say a few things, and then we're going to pray. Um, just li listen, listen to these, these thoughts. These are some thoughts about the gospel of peace. You see, the gospel of peace can be offensive, because the gospel of peace levels the playing field. In the gospel of peace, the first are last, and the last are first. In the gospel of peace, those who think they are unworthy are first in line. And those who think they've got it all together are asked to step aside. It brings the arrogant down and puts the downtrodden center stage. The gospel of peace disrupts the status quo. It challenges what has always been. It inverts the roles. It stands firmly in opposition to those who insist on making it about merit. It reminds us that there is no class system in the kingdom of God. And that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This reminder will make some people uncomfortable. That's why the boot sandals have cleats and nails. You have to stand your ground against those who oppose the gospel of peace. You see, peace has a price. And that's why it's presented in war language. I don't want for... Downey First Christian Church to be a church of insiders versus outsiders. I don't want our church to be about those who have been here for years versus those who are new. I don't want for this church to be 
about those who struggle with alcohol versus those who seem to have it all together. I don't want this church to be about the person who had an abortion versus those who have raised good families. I, want, I don't want this, this church to be a church about those who read the Bible every day versus those who don't know the Old Testament from the New. I don't want this church to be about those who have been happily married versus those who are on their second or third marriage. I don't want any of that. Because the truth is that we're all outsiders who have been welcomed by Jesus to sit at the table to eat with him. This is what the gospel of peace brings. And so with eyes closed and your head bowed, I know this makes those who believe that are better than others very uncomfortable. And I want to ask a question. What's the gospel that your life is preaching? Is the gospel that your life is preaching bringing peace or division? Is the gospel that you are preaching bringing hope or hardship? Is the gospel that you're preaching bringing joy or pain? Is the gospel you are preaching a heavy yoke or an easy burden? Let me pray. So Lord God, we... We thank you for your message this morning. We thank you, God, that that we understand that in the same way that the Christians in Ephesus were having issues with the class system within the church, we can fall into the same problem. I pray that we will stand up with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And that we'll stand our ground in realizing that it's not about you versus me or the new versus the old or you act this way and I act that, that way, but that we are all together trying to figure out this thing called life and trying to honor you. And Lord God, we, we understand that this feels like it can get a little bit messy But as we look at the way you did ministry, you weren't concerned about what other people said, ever. All you did was welcome people to the table. I pray that we'll be the same way. I pray that this reality of the gospel of peace will pierce our hearts and change our lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen.